I'll add my welcome. It's good to see each and every one of you this morning. It's so good to have so many visitors with us this morning. We, uh, I, I say often, we live in a beautiful area of the world, and as such, we, we get a lot of people to come through and, and to visit with us. And so we're very glad to have you uh, as we uh, seek to serve God here in Cortez. I want to talk to you this morning about something that I get asked quite often, really. The question is, who is it that will go to heaven? I get asked this question in the context of when people find out that I'm a preacher. Um, They ask me about certain things and the church I preach at and those kind of things. And sometimes if if the conversation goes forward, they might ask me, well, you know, who... What do you believe? Who, who will go to heaven? Not maybe that exact phrasing, but something along those lines. And so I got to thinking about that, and, and I thought, well, obviously the, the Bible is very clear about those who will go to heaven. But I wanted to present it in such a way that hopefully is very clear, and in a way that you might be able to share with your neighbors and, and your friends and your family, and a way that shows that God indeed has set forth a, a way by which he will save man, and it's up to us to uh, respond to that if we want to go to heaven. So let's begin this way. Let's begin by seeing that, as I mentioned, God has provided a way by which we can go to heaven. And I know that sounds oversimplified, but it's important to understand that that he has indeed provided a way by which we can go to heaven. That we can live a life a certain way and and be pleasing to him, and then we can spend an eternity with him in heaven. And that begins by things that we hear often about hearing and believing and repenting and confessing. Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's, That's where it begins. We have to hear the instructions by which we will be saved. We have to believe that it is what we, that, that what we are hearing is the word of God and that we believe in that. In John 8 and verse 24, it says, Unless you believe that I am he, this is our Lord speaking, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So it's important to hear, but it's also important to believe the message that we are hearing. And then we have to repent. We have to turn from the life that we were leading to lead a life pleasing to God. And Acts 17 and verse 30 says that God is calling on all men everywhere to repent. We talked about this morning in our Bible class that God has made it available to all men. But we do indeed have to do something. We have to obey God. We have to turn from the life that we were living. We have to confess who Jesus Christ is. In Romans 10 and verse 9, it says to confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then you will be saved. So it's important to make that confession about who Jesus Christ is. Not that we confess that I believe in something or I uh, will pray this prayer and I'll be saved. No, you have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the Son of God. And if you do that, that makes you a penitent, confessing believer. 
If you follow those things, if you hear and believe and repent and confess, that makes you a penitent, confessing believer. So this is the beginnings of how it is that we might go to heaven. But Jesus said this, and let's not ignore this because this is important. In John 3 and verse 5, as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to him by night and asked him, Lord, how is it that I should enter heaven? How shall I be saved? And Jesus said to him, verse 5, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So while we might be thinking about a penitent confessing believer, there's something else there that we must do. And Jesus points to it here. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So as a penitent confessing believer, there's another step that we have to take. And that is that we have to be baptized. So while it is important for those to, to be that person, and it is very important to be that person, because baptism does you no good unless you are indeed a penitent confessing believer. Just simply being put under water will not save you from your sins. You have to take those other steps first. And then you have to be baptized. But is baptism really necessary? This is another question that I get asked a lot when people find out about our beliefs and that, that we as members of the Lord's Church teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. Well, is it really? Well, Jesus said so. Well, we just read there in John 3 and verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I think that makes it pretty important. We have other scriptures. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I'd say the baptism is pretty important in that context, in that verse. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. I think baptism is pretty important. Peter says right there, baptism now saves you. Acts 2 and verse 38, as, as Apostle Peter stands there on the, on the day of Pentecost and, and convicts those there in Jerusalem about putting to death the Son of God. And they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? What is Peter's response? Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How important is baptism in that context? Peter says, <laughs> that's how you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you'll be remissed of your sins, is to be baptized. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, we have the account there of the Ethiopian eunuch as Philip teaches to him about Jesus Christ and he's in the, in the chariot and, and, the, and the eunuch, said, after he's been taught, he says, look, there's water, what prevents me from being baptized? Peter says, if you believe, you can. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He makes that good confession about who Jesus Christ is. And so... They stopped the chariot and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. How important is baptism in that context? So you see, if I'm a penitent, confessing believer and I've been baptized and I fall in this, in this intersection of these two circles here, you've probably seen this kind of 
graph before where the circles intersect. And so now we have a, a subset, if you will. We have a penitent, believing, uh, confessing uh, believer who's been baptized. But there's still more to it than that. As a baptized believer, there's yet another step to get me to heaven. And that is, I have to be a faithful member of the Lord's church. As we mentioned there in Acts chapter 2, as Peter gives that that sermon there on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 souls believed that day. And if you come to verse 47, it says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're talking about the number there that's, that's mentioned there. That's the God adding to the church day by day those who are being saved. Religions out there teach that we might be baptized um, into a certain local church or as to, to become a member of that church or that we might be scheduled for a baptism three weeks out and that will there show, there, thereby show that I've been saved. I've already been saved according to them, but in three weeks from now we're going to have a baptism and that's when you're going to be baptized. Scriptures tell us that the Lord adds us to the church. Those who have believed, those who have been baptized, those are the ones that are added to the church. Let's talk about the church here for just a moment. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. It's important to understand, and again, questions I get asked Um, this one especially, about the nature of the Lord's church. There are some out there, and the Church of Christ does have a bad reputation in the world sometimes among people. And the the slam on the the Lord's church is that, well, you you Christians, you Church of Christers, believe you're the only ones that are going to go to heaven. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I mentioned there, I say, a faithful member of the Lord's church. In Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about the things that unite us. Verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to present, uh, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body. So let's stop there for just a moment. What does that mean? That means there is one church. We don't read of any other churches in the Bible. Now we read of local congregations. We read of the church in Ephesus. We read of the church in Thyatira. We read of the churches in Galatia. Those are local churches. When we come to the church universal, the the body of the saved saints, there is but one body. So when Paul says there is one body, guess what he means? There is one church. So to be a faithful member of the Lord's church means you need to be a faithful member of the Lord's church. There is one body, one spirit. Just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. These are the things that we must be united 
in if we're going to be faithful members of the Lord's church. One spirit, one hope of our calling, one baptism. And guess what baptism that is? That is of a penitent, confessing believer who has been baptized. That's the one baptism that Paul is speaking of. We mentioned this morning about Apollos and how he was going about teaching the baptism of John. But he had to be taught the, baptism, the Lord's baptism. And after they were taught that, Paul took them and baptized them. Why? Because there's one baptism. It doesn't say that he rebaptized them. It says that he baptized them. There's one baptism. Helps us also to understand about unity by looking in 1 Corinthians. Look in 1 Corinthians with me. There was lots of problems going on in Corinth that Paul had to address. And one of the ones that he addressed here early on was the divisions that were there among them. In 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 10, it says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you. But you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Guess what that he's talking about there? He's talking about what he's said over there in Ephesians. We all be in agreement. Unity. That we all be committed to being faithful members of the Lord's church and holding to those things. Verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Verse 13, notice. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say that you were baptized in my name. You see, there was this division that has already started in the Lord's church, where people started identifying with certain men. Well, I am of this person, I am of that person. Guess what that is? That's denomination. Denomination means that you name something. And if you go and say that you're of following this person and you name that person, you've denominated yourself because you're following after that person. Guess what that has given rise to over these thousands of years? A couple of thousand years. Think about how many churches there are today. Why? Because they want to identify with a certain person or a certain sect or a certain um, creed by which they might follow. Has Christ been divided? Where is the one church in the 38,000 denominations or wherever men there are today? Does that sound like one body? It's important that we understand that the Bible speaks of one church. So if we want to be pleasing to God and ultimately want to go to heaven, we have to be a faithful member of that church. Yet understand this, even amongst that, there is the opportunity that we can't, that we don't make it to heaven. If you think about the letters that are written in the New Testament, the letters that are written in the New Testament are written to Christians. And think about how much Paul and Peter and James, John, how much they talk about 
the perils of falling away. Why are they talking about that to Christians? It must mean that Christians can fall away. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, as the Lord is addressing the problems that are within these seven churches in Asia, he says, you be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. What does that mean? That means we have to be a faithful member of the Lord's church. We have to be a faithful citizen of the kingdom. Then we will receive the crown of life. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because it is possible to fail there. To fail and not be a faithful member of the Lord's church. Look in Galatians with me for just a moment. I'm going to flip through a few verses here, but I think you'll, you'll soon see why I picked these verses out. Galatians 1 and verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Chapter 5, verse 4. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul was amazed that these Galatians had turned to a different gospel. But look back there in chapter 1, what he says about that gospel in verse 7. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Guess what? There's that unity. How many gospel messages are there? How many churches are there? How many spirits are there? How many baptisms are there? I'm not adding these up. These are one apiece. Unity. Be a faithful member of the Lord's church. So then, now we have another intersecting circle here about those who are going to go to heaven. If we want to know who it is that's going to go to heaven, it's where these three circles intersect. It's those penitent, confessing, believing souls who have been baptized and who remain faithful to the Lord by being a member of of the Lord's church. So when you get asked that question about you Church of Christers or think you're the only ones that are going to go to heaven, I hold to the church that I see in the New Testament. That's where I worship. I don't follow after any man, any creed, any doctrine, other than what I can find in the New Testament. It tells me how I ought to serve God, and how I am to be pleasing to Him. There's another way to look at this. Before we do that, I want to touch on one more thing. And that is the error that's involved in all of this. We can be a penitent, confessing believer. But if we're not baptized, guess what? We're outside here. I can be a penitent, professing believer and not be baptized. Well, guess what? I'm not following God's plan. I'm not doing what he has told me to do. Baptism is necessary for salvation. I can, be, I can believe all day long. James addresses this in James 2 and verse uh, 19. 
It says, even the demons believe. That's when he also when he talks about works in that section there. A baptism needs to be appropriate. So those who are baptized are penitent, confessing believers. That excludes infants. That excludes those who are not penitent, confessing believers. That excludes those who are just simply being baptized to become a member of a local church. The scripture says, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. That is the proper way in which one is to be baptized. And then, of course, we need to remain a faithful member of the Lord's church. So that excludes all other churches that aren't the Lord's church. Here's another way to look at this. Look with me in Matthew chapter 7. Of course, this is towards the end of Matthew's recording of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, is wrapping up what he is saying here at this particular time. And he, he talks about there beginning in 13 about entering by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who find it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. See, even our Lord's teaching, he, he tells us about a separation. There's a wide way, a wide gate, and there's a narrow way and a narrow gate. And he says to enter by the narrow gate. And he goes on to talk about false prophets and he goes on to talk about uh, those who uh, are bearing bad fruit and those who are bearing good fruit. And he says there in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we perform many miracles? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, there's another way of looking at who is it that will go to heaven. And Jesus describes it as this way. It's the ones who do the will of the Father. Those are the ones who will go to heaven. And he says there that some will come to him, well, didn't we do this? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we uh, cast out demons in your name and in your name do many things? How does that translate today? Well, we're, we're, isn't this a good thing that we're doing? The church might say, well, this seems like a good thing that we're doing. Certainly, Jesus would go along with this. Well, there's danger in that. Because Jesus says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If we are going to set about doing something according to, or, or, or to be pleasing to God, then we have to do it in accordance with the scriptures. And what he says we must do. So he's back to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who will? Those who do the will of the Father. So when the question, when I get asked the question of, you know, do you believe you're the only ones that are going to, going to heaven? I come back to this verse. I said, the Lord says that not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. So we can put in this big circle, 
those little circles we were just talking about. A penitent, confessing believer who has been baptized and remains a faithful member of the Lord's church, guess what? That person's doing the will of the Father. That's the plan that God has set forth. Is that the plan that we're following? So with those who try to pull pieces out of this and, and say that you, you, you are or you aren't going to heaven because of this certain thing, well, Jesus says those who do the will of my Father are the ones who will go to heaven. What is the will of the Father? That you hear and believe and repent and confess and be baptized, that you remain a faithful servant until death. That's the will of the Father. So then the question comes down to, will you be one of those that go to heaven? Will you be one of those that fall in, that, in our diagram there, in those intersecting circles, who has, who has believed, is a repentant, repentant believer, has been baptized, and you're a member of the Lord's church? Those are the ones that will go to heaven. I hope this lesson has been encouraging to you. I hope you will see how simple the plan of salvation is. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not buried in obscure texts in the Bible that we, it takes someone who with a, a degree in, in theology to dig it out and then to, to tell that to you. No. It's simple. It's right there in front of you. It's in these verses that we've mentioned here this morning. And I hope that you realize that it is simple and that God requires obedience. And that obedience is expressed in baptism. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, as Peter writes. We go down into those waters, a man or a woman of sin, and we raised up a new creature to walk in newness of life, as Paul talks about in Romans 6. That's the blessings that are in Christ. That's the gospel message. Christ has been crucified, and through him we might live. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to make the necessary changes in your life. To repent of the, the things in your life that are leading you away from God and to turn towards Him. And to put on Christ. To be buried with Him in baptism so that we can indeed walk in newness of life. If as a child of God you're not living as a faithful member of the Lord's church, I hope you see the danger in so doing. I hope you'll recommit yourself to being a faithful member of the body. Paul talks about the body as a human body, about the limbs and the, the nose, the eyes, the ears. And what does that make up? It makes up a whole body, a functioning body. And that's what we're parts of. Not everyone has the same gifts. Not everyone has the same talents. But we're all part of the same body. So we have much to contribute to that body. If you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.